So, hi everyone. George, is it Pavel? Pavel, Aubrey, I saw Brooke joining. So, we are in our 12th month of 2021 for the book club. And this month's book was The One Thing by Gary Keller. One of the funny things is I love to read, um, I love to listen. And uh, when, when I first, I don't know why I couldn't download this book in, um, in English on my audio, but it kept coming up in like Dutch. I could, Josie tried, we all tried. Could, so I ended up buying the book, marketing it up, reading it, which is great, but I can do it so much faster with the audio. So I don't know, every time I would turn on Josie's like, what is that? But um, there, there was a lot of takeaways in the book. And for those of you that um, read it, I would love your input, but I would tell you probably my most favorite part of the whole book uh, is near the end, which I'm gonna read it to you because it's personally, I, um, it, it, uh, what's the word? It gave me license <laughs> to do something that I do and I'm always feeling guilty about it. And it's uh, it's in the chapter 17 near the end. And we'll, come, we'll, we'll bounce all the way around. But for those of you that have not been part of this before, but the fear of chaos. So I don't know about anyone on this call, but you know, full disclosure, I think I have 86,000 emails in my inbox. <laughs> Every so often on an airplane, I'll say, today's the day I'm going to like delete all of them from 2020 or, you know, whatever, or I'm going to go through. And it, it just, after I could work on it for an hour or two hours and it just doesn't make a difference. And he talks about that in the fear of chaos. And in one of the little, there's a little quote he puts in every few pages. And it says, if a cluttered desk is a sign of a cluttered mind of what then is an empty desk a sign of, and that was a quote from Albert Einstein. So I was like, I am no longer going to feel guilt. My desk is not that messy, but my inbox drives Josie crazy. She's the girl that every night at the end of the night goes home and there's nothing in her inbox. And I go through phases where I'm unsubscribing to all of this crap, but it, A, they don't unsubscribe. And, B, and it's just, I, I could be prospecting during those times. You know, it's like I'd way more, I could do something way more valuable than cleaning up my inbox. So I feel vindicated by Gary Keller's book where he talks about for three or four pages, don't let some distractions that of, of things like that to stop you from doing the one thing. And for me, the one thing is always and will forever be prospecting because whether I'm filling vacancies for my shopping centers, helping my clients fill vacancies, filling vacancies, which means canvassing, cold calling, reaching out to nationals, reaching out to tenant rep brokers. I mean, that's the, the thing. Now, do, should I, do I do it four hours a day? Like he recommends doing the one thing four hours a day. I don't do it for four hours a day. But when I was new in the business, I would say the first five years in the business, now I'm in my 36th year, I did it probably six hours a day. 
So it was the one thing, and I, I absolutely collected, as he talks about in this book, the 10,000 hours of prospecting. So I am an expert at prospecting, which is why I teach it now. So, um, but I was very excited when I was finishing the book this morning at 6.30, when I got to that chapter and it said, you don't need to worry about those 86,000 emails, Beth, just let them sit in that outbox. And I'm like, yay. So I know some of you on the call are probably cringing like Josie because she can't stand it, but I, it doesn't bother me. And I'd much rather pay attention to something important, like the one thing. So, uh, so Liz, you said you read it a, a year ago. Do you remember something that stood out that you would like to contribute before you have to go to your meeting? Oh yeah, no, it, I just love the idea of priorities of just, you know, that that's like the thesis of the book is like, have your priorities in check and have your focus there because, you know, multitasking, being distracted, not knowing uh, difficulty, making decisions, all that kind of stuff. So if you have a laser focus, then you're much more likely to be successful. So you can't be great at all things, but you can be great at your one thing. So getting really, really clear on that, like I do like a lot of values clarification and just know like I have three core values. If my these values are in, in line, then everything else just kind of falls into place in my life. So I kind of have my top three, he says one, but you know, as you're thinking about how do I spend this next hour, how do I focus my day, knowing what either it's your top values or your one thing, it just creates so much focus and you become such a stronger person. And, 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 you're, and you were right. I was going to say to you, he says that we say priorities. And then he says that it really should be one priority, right? And he de defines, I think he defined priority as the one thing. And then he says, and now since our culture has taken over and this whole multitasking thing has occurred, that now there's all of these new words on, you know, um, that people uh, use, I'll see if I can find it, uh, about it's no longer the pri priorities has now gone by the wayside and we've come up with all of these other words or phrases because we've expanded the priority into multiple things. So I thought that was very interesting also. Mm -hmm. But he does tie the priorities and the one thing into um you know what is your what's your mission, what are your values, what what is Great. the thing that I think the the number one question is um what if you did this one thing, everything else would be easy. Let's see what's where's the questions. Hold on. Oh, uh, the core one thing question. Yeah. Let me uh, find it. Uh, that what is the one thing I can do such that by doing everything else will be easier or unnecessary? Right. Easier or yeah. So for me, what's the one thing I can do that will make everything easier or unnecessary? If the one thing I do is prospect for my vacancies or for my clients' vacancies, it makes building up the income of the property easier. And it makes doing a lot of other things unnecessary, like email blasts that don't work, and you know, which I scream about all day, every day. But there's things we do that are then unnecessary. Because if we're, you know, everyone's like, what's the best way to get nationals to take space in our shopping centers? What's, you know, everyone's looking for 
the magic pill, right? What's the one system I can buy to get, you know what it is? It's picking up the phone and calling the national. That's the best way <laughs> to get to the national, but everyone avoids that because it's hard work and it takes gumption to do it because it's not always easy and everyone wants the easy thing oh i can send an email blast to 50 nationals and then that's the worst thing you can do right right, right brooke Khan, you know that yeah luckily um i i learned that early on and haven't had um any any real problems with it since then i'd much rather pick up the phone and just call somebody and stuff but um i think I really enjoyed the reinforcement of multitasking is not the way to go. Um, it seems like that's still like a, a tactic, I guess, a, a way for people to be working and everything and so much more. I've never been great at multitasking. Like I just, something is getting, you know, half-assed done essentially is what it comes down to. Like I'm just not focusing all of my attention on something. So I've never been able to really like multitask like I've always enjoyed having a checklist sort of to-do list sort of thing knock one thing out at a time um and I know that that's becoming like the lack of multitasking is becoming more of a thing but so anytime I read that it's being reinforced that it's not the best way to handle something I'm like oh thank goodness like I'm somebody else is on my side about this and just you know I so I enjoyed that sort of reinforcement from the book but it's also like no you don't realize how many other things are then going to benefit from you not multitasking because you're giving a hundred percent to everything which is harder to do depending on your workload and you know all of the little things that come in and out of like our daily inboxes and stuff but um i i i've really i listened to the book not not in a different language <laughs> um i so I, but it's, it was fun to listen to it in that way, especially in hearing that because I'm listening to it kind of while I was multitasking, like while I'm working out or I'm driving. So it was kind of like, well, like this kind of multitasking is still okay, right? Like I can focus on walking and still listening. Um, but it's a, it was a, it was an easy listen. It was, I, I liked the content of it and, um, you know, I, I especially like reading things that reinforce what I'm already trying to do. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's so funny that we're so we're such, you know, um, obvious human beings, right? Whenever you're reading, I really like that book. Oh, well, why do you like it so much? Well, it talks about prospecting and I love prospecting. Yeah. It's, it's very funny that we're just so predictable. Of course, you like the book because it reinforces what you do. He says that you can do multitasking as long as you don't have to think. So he does say you can walk and chew gum at the same time, or obviously we can walk and breathe at the same time. But if it's something that we have to think about right. or pay attention to, that's when it's a problem. So yeah, I thought I I typically have been a multitasker, but I keep reading that that is not the way to go. So I am paying attention to that. My One of my favorite early on before I got to the, don't worry about the emails in the inbox, which I was, you know, jumping up and down screaming this morning was chapter, chapter seven, seven talks about um, willpower and who the hell knew I never knew this. I must have sent this to three people. I took 
copies of pages. Three, that willpower, it says, think of willpower. So willpower, um, we run out of willpower. And it says, think of willpower like the power bar on your cell phone. Every morning you start off with a full charge. As the day goes on, every time you draw on it, you're using it up. So as your green bar shrinks, so does your resolve. So for everyone that's ever been on a diet, me, I now know why at night I can't resist the chocolate bar. As your green bar shrinks, so does your resolve. And when it eventually goes red, you're done. Willpower has a limited battery life, but can be recharged with some downtime, which is, again, we were just reading, I think, two books ago about how important taking a break is. And, and that book, I don't remember the book's name, if Greg would remember, but it, 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 it likened itself to when you're working out a muscle and when does the muscle grow? When it's in recovery state, not when you're pushing it. So he, so he says it, it is limited, but it's a renewable resource. And, um, and, and uh, we fail to recognize that willpower is a limited resource. So I didn't know that. I never knew that willpower, what, that you, I was sending this to my girlfriend who she and I are always, you know, we need to diet. We're always talking about fit, you know, exercise and eating right. And I'm like, look, at this is our, <laughs> we use up all of our willpower during the day and all of our brain power working, working, working. We don't, maybe don't eat right. Don't exercise by the end of the night. No wonder we do things that are not good for us. Who knew? Go ahead, Liz. Yeah, and, and he says the antidote to that are habits. So, you know, it's like making things automatic. So that's definitely, that's how I lost 40 pounds. It was all through habit changes. Like, it, yeah, like I can resist the chocolate because I'm in a habit of never being hungry. I eat plenty of protein. I don't eat many carbs. I exercise every day because I'm in that habit. So that's kind of like his strategy that I think works really well with whether it's lifestyle changes in your health or also, you know, um, anything with work is that you habitualize your success by your taking daily action on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've got so many people on board. So Greg Parsons, who's actually taking over the book club next year, I'm going to help him. He can't get on. I don't know why he can't get on. Josie sent him the link. So hopefully he'll join us. But um, Nancy or Jeff Soclough or Aubrey or Pavol, any of you guys read, did you read the book and have some input before I go on and just keep talking, you know, you're all, all your all's ear off. Yes, I actually had some input on the, the willpower slash discipline into habit conversation because I have a tendency to, well, first of all, when I'm not where I want to be, I'm like, I just got to discipline myself, right? And I will, and I will go hard and then I get burnt out and I, I get off of the willpower cycle and then I'm exhausted and then it takes everything back in, you know, out of me to get back onto the discipline real hard. So show, you know, the being free to say, let's do one thing, discipline, discipline yourself enough to make it a habit and then give yourself some time to rejuvenate. I was like, okay, like to me, that was, that was something that really 
stuck out so that I can keep the cycle going because I will just go, 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 go until I'm just flatlined. And that's, you know, we all know that that's not good. So, so the other thing that I loved in the book was how many, I'm going to ask you guys, you know, you can put it in the chat or you can scream it out. How many days does it take to form a habit? What have we been told? 21. How many days? 20, so Aubrey says 21. Kara, how many days have we been told? Um, like from different people or different Just sources? From yeah, from different from yeah. self gurus. How many days to, to form a habit? Like about thirty or so. I can't remember, but somewhere around there. Yeah. Anyone else? Who knows? Who's yeah? Jeff says thirty days. This guy, and I have I have tried to form habits in thirty days. It doesn't work for me. So this guy says sixty six days. Sixty, which I think is right. You know, I have a girlfriend right now doing the seventy five hard, which. You know, I don't, I don't know if I could ever do no, I could do the no alcohol, drinking a gallon of water every day, working out twice for 45 minutes. One of them has to be outside reading every day. That would be easy for me. Um, and eating only clean foods. Okay. I, for 75 days, there's no way, but I know why they have 75 days because I could do that for 30 and it would not be a habit for me. So um, I did the 5am club. We all read that book last year during COVID. I did that for 68 days. You know, I did it at the end. I'm like, I don't really get, I didn't get anything of that doing these six things for 15 minutes every morning. I did it 68 days though. It had become kind of a habit. And then I woke up and said, I'm not getting a return, an ROI on this. You know, you know, the, I think because a lot of the stuff, the, the reading, the affirmations, the meditation, um, all of the things I kind of was already doing it. It wasn't additive. The, the one thing that was additive was the working out, which is the thing that is the weakest in my world, right? I'm, you know, I'll get up and work all day, but, you know, working out is like, eh. so, but 66 days. And he talks about, everyone says it's 21. It's definitely not 21. So I thought that was, that was informational and, and accurate. And it was the first time I actually saw someone say something other than 21 days. So, so yeah, I like I've that. always heard the 21 days too. And then when he said 66, because 21 days that flies by, like that's nothing. I feel like my willpower at 21 days, like I'm still amped up and excited by like day 45 I'm like this sucks I hate everything but like yeah I'm like yeah this this adds up like 66 days makes a lot more sense my girlfriend that's doing the 75 hard so it's Stacy Mooney who does retail live so if you don't follow her on Instagram you should follow her a just because she you know does retail live so she has retailers all of the time you know posting stuff on her Instagram but she posted today that it's hump day for her for the 75 hard so I guess she's in the middle whatever that is, whatever the 38, maybe. And I, I just can't even imagine she's got 38 more days left of that. Good for her. Good for her. She's inspiring. Her name is Stacy Mooney, M-O-O-N-E-Y. Uh, her next retail live is in February in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'll be there. And Me too. So she, awesome. We'll see each other, Brooke. So, um, so Stacy Mooney retail live. So follow her. It's inspirational what she's doing. I mean, I've seen, there's a lot of guys like 
Corey Zelnick in New York City, um, Jason Siano, like all these guys have done 75 hard and I've watched their progress. I haven't seen any girls do it. I, I think it's kind of hard. Kara, could you do it 75 hard, do you think? It would be hard, right? No, I don't think I could do it. I mean, it, you said it was working out twice a day and stuff like that. That's a lot. I mean, like physically, like on your body, like, I don't know. I've I can't. I like we can all do it. We should all use positive words. Right. We should all use positive words, right? We could all do it. It's just that yeah, the working out, it's two workouts, 45 minutes, and one has to be outside. So when Corey did it last year, he was like in New York, it's 30 degrees. I'd like, uh, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely makes you mentally strong, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So in chapter nine, he talks about goals and how none of us think big enough or as big as we can achieve. So, you know, going back to 75 hard, like, I don't think I could do it. I know I could do it if I wanted to do it. I don't want to do it, but we don't, Mm -hmm. we don't, our goals are nowhere near as big as what we can accomplish. Mm-hmm. And if if any of you have not read the book, or even if you have read the book, I would highly recommend that you go back and read chapter nine again, just because, you know, I do a lot of coaching and, and it's the same thing over and over again. People, we underestimate ourselves and we don't have goals as big like I have a a client who this year she did a hundred no 202,000 in fees phenomenal year last year she did under a hundred so 202 congratulations prior to so last week when we met her new goal for 2022 was 350 well I said to her do you have the listings to provide that because I was nervous she didn't have the listings to provide that which then we would have worked on her goals to get the listings to to provide the 350 so for the Mm -hmm. next call she sends in all of her listings well her listings again if she leased all of them which we know we don't always lease all of our listings to 100 percent would have given her income over 600 so we changed her goals I, we we changed her goal. We call we call her new goals. I, we did four hundred and one thousand, so we call it the four hundred one k plan. So mm-hmm. because and she's like scared. She's like, I was scared at three fifty. I go, but look right here. You have the listings. Now we just have to create the plan. And he talks about that here in the book. How you have the big goal, which I you know, and you guys know those of you that know me love 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 goal setting. So. Mm-hmm. What's the big goal? He says, what's, where do you want to be in five years? So what do you need to be doing in now for the next year? And then what do you need to be doing in the next six months? And then the next three months, and then the next month, and then the next week, and then today, which I think is a fabulous way. I don't think you should do that on 10 goals because you know you might spend a month working on that. But I think if you pick the big goal, and then work that way, work it backwards, I think is a fabulous idea. So I want to open meditation studios. 
that I keep putting off because of probably fear. And I wrote down everything I need to do. If I want 500, is that a big goal? 500 meditation studios in the next five years. That's a big goal. And I worked, I did the whole thing. I wrote it in the margin, in the margin. I did five years, one year, quarterly, 30 days, one week today. So today I had to call the bank to talk about the SBA loan. And I spent 30 minutes on my business plan. So whatever goal you have that's big, work it backwards like that. And that is part of chapter nine and an, a, another chapter. Who else has read the book? And Jeff, can you talk or no? Yeah, I can talk. How are you? Did you I'm awesome. Did you read the book? I read it actually a few years ago. I um, was involved in a side hustle and I heard it on a podcast and, um, and some, you know, it really spoke to me. So I ran out, I bought the book and I think it's uh, for what the point you just raised was how you break down your, um, your objectives and your goals. And it could be in really any part of your life, obviously. And, you know, what's that big goal and what do I have to do to achieve that? And I think that, that my life took a little bit of a curve. Um, so I, I got thrown off that, that track a little bit, but, but I think that, um, that was the, the biggest takeaway from me in regard to uh, um, this book and, and, and how you put, how you put, um, uh, how you put goals together and objectives and achieve them. And I guess another, there's another form called, I think it's transactional analysis is, 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 a, is a more scientific for, term for it. And there's a whole science about that. And that it's basically the same thing is breaking down your goals and objectives into individual um, activities and actions. Um, and the thought of what's the most important thing that I can do today in order to make everything else easier for me. And if you're constantly answering that question, and I don't, I don't do it enough, but you're constantly answering that question, you're going to, um, you're going to be able to achieve quite a bit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Your, your life got a little bit turned around, but now it's back on track, right? Thank God. Yeah. Going back to what we were talking about earlier about priority. Here's the paragraph to be precise. The word is priority, not priorities. And it is, it was originated in the 14th century from the Latin prior meaning first. If something mattered the most, it was a priority. Curiously, priority remained unpluralized, unpluralized until the 20th century, when all of us workaholics got into the world. When that, when the world apparently demoted it to meaning generally something that matters, and the pearl priorities appeared. With the loss of its initial intent, a wide variety of sayings like most pressing matter, prime concern, on the front burner, pitched into recapturing the essence of the original definition and meaning. Today, we elevate priority to its former meaning by adding highest priority, top priority, first priority, main priority, and most important priority in front of it. <laughs> it would seem that the word priority and the meaning has traveled an interesting road. How interesting is that? So the, 
Another part of the book that I loved, which is something I say a lot, so, and, and Kara, the girls that go on my wire trip know that I say all the time, women especially, that no is a complete sentence. Right, Kara, you've heard me say yeah. that. No, I love is that a saying. <laughs> <laughs> so he devotes a whole chapter on saying no. And for anyone that has a problem saying no, you should read that chapter and trying to find which chapter it is. I think it's chapter 17. So um, because we want to be helpful people, but we that hurts us because that is you're getting interrupted. You're asking, you're getting asked to do things you don't want to do. And we're worried what people are going to think. So we say yes. And yeah, it says someone, this is chapter 17, the four thieves, one being the, in, the first one, inability of saying no. Someone once told me that one yes must, oh, this is great. One yes. So yes, I will help you must be defended over time by a thousand no's. Well, I don't believe anyone on this call does a thousand no's to get a yes. There's no way, right? Early in my career, I didn't understand this at all. Today, I think it's an understatement. So one, yes. Yes, I will be on the HOA board. You needed to say a thousand no's to get to that yes. That's a really good guide for every time you say yes to something that you know you're saying in your, well, why am I saying yes to go get insurance for this tenant when I really, it would take me an hour to do that when really the property management department should be doing this. And I could be mm -hmm. spending an hour prospecting mm -hmm. now, but again, you want to be a team player too, right? It's not like we should be saying, oh, it's not our job. We should be being team players, but there's a lot of times where we're asked to do something that we probably should think twice or four times or five times or five minutes before we say just an automatic automatic sure. And he, he also talks in here somewhere where it's so easy to just, you know, do your to-do list and the to-do list is filled with things that are not meaningful and that don't contribute to that big one big goal. I'm gonna to try to find that while we're continuing to have discussion. Sherry Mendenhall, did you read the book? No, I didn't, but um, Jeff said I absolutely must read it and told me to be on this call. And so I said, okay, so now it sounds very interesting. So I will have to get the book. It's a really good book. Nancy, did you read the book? Nancy can't speak. Is it Pavol or Pavol? It's Pavol. Hi, Pavol. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Good. Welcome to the book club discussion. Did you have a chance to read the book? Uh, it seems, unfortunately, not. That's <laughs> okay. You don't have to read the book to be here. Sometimes people listen to this call and then they go get the book. Sometimes I say, I don't like the book at all. So, and there's sometimes people love the book. I don't really like the book. There's been a few books where I haven't liked the book. So um, 
Aubrey, any other takeaways from the book? Um, the the to-do list was something that I am, um, I fall victim to as well, but I have, with my limited time in my schedule, I've been forced to do the most important thing. So, um, but I've always felt, oh my God, I got, you know, I got to have a list though. You know what I mean? But the freedom again is everything doesn't have to get done. And if it, if, you know, I do the most important thing, then that'll make my life easy enough and I can cross off the rest of it whenever I get a chance. So that was another thing that stuck out to me too. I mean, I think, you know, he does talk about, he says, when he describes his day, he says he does his little morning routine, whatever that's exercising, meditating. And then he says, when he gets in the office, he does an hour of, of things, not the big thing. He does an hour where he cleans things up. I would have to do that, right? Because I wouldn't be able to come into my office and not, and just go launching into prospecting for four hours or whatever my big thing was, because I would the idea in my mind that I was not doing something that Josie asked me to do that would have taken one minute would have been gnawing at me and not allowing me to concentrate on the one big thing. So I think it is important that, but again, like he gives an example of Jerry Seinfeld and he says that Jerry Seinfeld uh, or Stephen King, Stephen King, he said that Stephen King every morning from like seven to 11 would write. So, you know, and that was what worked for Stephen King. So, um, but so you have to, it, he does talk in another chapter about being self-aware. So sometimes in the morning, you know, my morning routine is coffee, newspaper, CNBC, walk for th three miles. And that's my morning routine every day. And if I don't do that morning routine, I'm off. So that is definitely a habit that I have built. Then, mm -hmm. But some, so then what, when I come back, I shower, I make a smoothie while I'm drinking the smoothie, I'm looking at emails and I'm looking at emails throughout. Like when I'm reading the newspaper or watching CNBC walking, I'm looking at emails, but when I'm sitting there eating breakfast or drinking a smoothie, I try, I would say three or four times a week to send out, you know, eight to 10 DMS on Instagram and Facebook for prospecting because I love to be able to kind of check that off in the event that I get to the office or I have five showings or whatever is going on in my day, I know without, you know, you know, over and above everything else, I got those eight to 10 DMs out, those, you know, prospects to the eight hamburger places or the eight tattoo parlors or whatever it is the use that I'm going after. So, so that's my routine. Now, when I, then I get into the office, I, you know, meet with Chloe or I talk to my partners or, you know, I'm looking at financial statements or I'm talking to the mortgage broker, whatever, you know, I'm looking at LOIs. I'm doing all of that other stuff. And then hopefully, you know, for me, it's about three times a week where I'll then focus and do some prospecting again, whether we're out canvassing in the community or doing it online, right? So, so I think that, um, Aubrey, I, there's no way that I couldn't check off some things on my list because it would absolutely distract me on my focus 
it would keep, I, I wonder, well, should I have done that? Like it, I, I wouldn't have been able to focus. So that's me being self-aware and knowing that, that I've got to get some things out of the way first before, you know, and some, sometimes he talks about how your environment is important. So many of us, you know, have, are still working from home or worked from home before we started working from home and, it, and how important it is to have a good working environment at home or in the office. Some people, you know, before COVID, a lot of people worked in cubicles or open areas, very hard to focus, but they had maybe a place where you could go into a conference room, rent it for, you know, or like put your name on it for an hour, close the door. Uh, it, in certain times in my past where I've gone to do a presentation where I've had to write, you know, a presentation for, you know, if I'm going to a company's headquarters to, you know, create a training session for eight leasing agents, I would go to the, the law library at Nova Southeastern University sometimes, because when you put yourself in a different environment, mm -hmm. for me, that helps me focus versus shutting my door here where I know anyone can walk in, someone can knock on the door. I go to a library, I've got, you know, my research, I'm working on this workshop that I'm going to, you know, that I need to prepare three or four hours of a presentation. It helps me to go to a completely foreign environment where no one, I don't know anyone there. You know, there are a bunch of law students. <laughs> so, and I can sit down and just kind of dive in on a, maybe it's a Saturday afternoon or Tuesday afternoon, whatever, and, and leave there with, you know, four hours of drafts of material that I can then hone from there. So that, that has helped me. Well, for me, my son is in school during the day. So that's my time to focus. And if there are things like cleaning up, straightening up, making sure my house is so I'm not distracted, I have, I know I have to do that in the evening because I got to maximize my eight to two 30. So same thing. And yeah, and I'll go to a Starbucks or something and yeah, there's music and everything, or I may even put on music, but like you said, you don't know anyone. So I can dive in my computer and nobody's going to distract me and neither are the dishes or whatever. And, and it is, it, it isn't it, it does distract you, the dishes and the socks on the floor and the dog barking. I mean, all of that. When I was finishing my last book, I would go to Starbucks and do the edits because, you know, I, it wasn't writing the book. It was just doing the edits. So I, it, you know, I, I would sit at Starbucks with headphones on and just, you know, get the edits to the, the, the editor. And that was a great environment to do that in. Um, what else do we have to talk about? Any other comments about the, the book or our year? Can you believe another year? This is our fourth year of the book club. Wow. Brooke, how long have you been a member of the book club? Well, I have to confess, I only recently like was able to get back into it. So I, I missed a good chunk. I feel like, I feel like I missed like a, quite a few months. Um, but I think it was probably going on three years now. Cause it was shortly after, like I switched to brokerage and went and did your workshop and stuff. And I was like, Oh, somebody else who likes to read, I'm in. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think probably like three years now. And then my, my hiatus this past summer and stuff, but I'm back, I'm reading again. I'm, I'm back in action. <laughs> What's your, do you have a favorite book of the book club? 
I still tell everybody to read Never Split the Difference. Like, I love that book. I mean, unfortunately, I still, there are times where I end up splitting the difference and I'm not happy about it, but um, (laughs) I just still think it was one of the more interesting books, like the perspective of it, especially from like the hostage negotiation, like side of things. but I have used a lot of the stuff in that both in negotiating for like work deals, but also like I helped my brother, my brother-in-law and my sister, like they purchased a vehicle recently. I'm like, Oh, I got you guys. Like I I know how to do this. Um, But that's still like one of the main ones where like anybody who asked me, but I also too was actually just talking about rejection proof this morning. um, Cause somebody was talking about like, our our industry and how like you must hear no a lot and I was like I do hear no a lot I was like but I was like I read this book and basically like I've learned to accept the word no and then ask follow-up questions to it I was like so it's really not that terrible hearing the word no all the time Mm -hmm. um but I I, those two were two of my favorites and then I don't know because like I said I missed a little bit but a book that I read recently um the birth of a building have you heard of that Um, write it down but it so it's a book about like I mean the birth of a building like how a building gets developed from the entire like I have this idea identifying a lot the financing the legal side the property management the lease up um it was a really interesting book um it's new-ish like within the past I think it came out just in the past like year and a half maybe um but that book is one that like I've told a lot of people who are newer in like real estate and stuff like that to check out just because you get the whole behind the scenes like oh so this is how this building came about kind of thing so but probably from your book club I've definitely rejection proof and never split the difference are probably my top two I tell you by far by far I would say 80 percent of anyone when I'm at ICSEs people walk up to me and go oh my gosh never split the difference the best book ever right and I probably two days ago I said to Chloe send the text right the infamous text I I presume by your lack of you Mm -hmm. know by your MIA status or by your you know the crickets I'm hearing you're no longer interested in this deal and every time we send the text the guy immediately texts us back Mm -hmm. it gets people's attention and it kind of like the psychology behind that entire book I'm like oh yeah no this does make sense and like I've also realized how quickly I fall in track to that like on the reverse side of it and stuff but yeah yeah that one um definitely couldn't recommend enough yeah it works every single time that text yeah I, we were having a workshop uh, a couple of months ago, the first live one after COVID. And I had, you know, a group of people and I was talking about this. And one of the guys was like, that doesn't really work. And I go, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I said, is there anyone that you're, you know, been dealing with that you just can't get a hold of? He goes, yeah, actually two people. I said, okay. Do you have their it? texts? I said, so this is what you say. And within five minutes both of them he got a response from and he's like oh okay I'm you know I'm eating crow so so that was awesome I love when that happens yeah (laughs) and they usually say yeah I am interested because then they're like wait yeah they don't want you to go away yeah yeah Yeah, they don't want any they don't want you to be the takeaway right they don't want they want to be the charge right yeah yeah. So thank you. Happy holidays to you too, Nancy. Um, so 
Any other uh, comments on the book before we close out? So we, Greg and I need to get together. He has a bunch of books that he wants to present. I am gonna be around. I'm just gonna let him take over. And I think what we're also gonna be doing is we're going to be um, inviting people to share their favorite books. So Brooke, maybe we'll have you do The Birth of a Building at some point in 2022. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to talk to you offline too. The author is actually in Raleigh and came to our book club. Um, so, and he's a really nice guy. He'd probably be willing to like get on like our call and stuff. So if you do pick that one, um, you know, try and put me in touch with Greg and I'll see if I can get uh, Ben to get on with us. What's his name? Ben what? Um, I was going to say, I think I actually have his book. Um, that would be great. We've had yeah. authors, we've had authors, we had Gary Vaynerchuk and Grant Cardone, really and we've had um, Jeb Blunt. So we've had authors come on in the past. Yeah. So it's Ben Stevens. Okay, great. Yeah, I would love that. That would be awesome. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, anyone have anything else to add before we sign off for this month's book club? If I may, uh, to add something. Yes. Uh, Beside self-improvement, you know, uh, topics, I just uh, would like to inform you that recently I purchased a book uh, called uh, How Real Estate Developers Think. That's the, the book, which I'm very interested in this topic because one thing is that how we try to improve our strategies and ourselves and organize, etc. But what I'm also interested in is on the other side, you know, you know, how the other side is thinking, what are their motives, how to actually adapt to this, you know, how to better understand these guys, you know, since we are serving them many times. And sometimes it's, for me, it's just like totally unlogical, you know, how they, how they think that you think that they are very highly intelligent, you know, they are rich, etc. But at the end, you find that there are some fundamentals they are just blinded by big egos you know and it's very difficult to talk to these guys you know so for me if you know any other book which will get me closer to these guys you know to better understand how to work with these big egos and i can tell you i work in the middle east also in the past four years so there are different kind of egos you know so for me, uh, I would be very grateful for that. If you have any idea of any book, a part of this, which I just found, uh, which called my interest by the name, how real estate developers think, I would very appreciate it. I love, I will, I'll send you on LinkedIn some other, um, some other books that, uh, that might apply to that. I mean, I, I you know, I've developed two, to a whopping two properties. And I will tell you, uh, it's not because we're brilliant. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's definitely not. <laughs> um, we, but we, some, I think we see some things that other people don't see. And then we are not afraid of risk because developing is super, super risky. And we, and you have to have an ego to say, I don't care what everyone's saying. They say that it can happen. I'm going to make it happen. So it, we are ego driven. I've only done it twice, but you have to have these skills, you know, ego driven that why can you do it when the other guy couldn't do it? What do you see that someone else doesn't see? Um, 
so, and then I think when you're, when a leasing agent is working with someone like me, like a developer, you've got to be optimistic because we are all very optimistic. So I have interviewed leasing folks where they're very negative, but I don't want them to be pie in the sky and saying, oh, I can lease it in three months. Then I, then, you know, we see through that and that's crap. But if you have someone that comes in and says, you're not going to get 40 a square foot. Well, okay. Then you're not going to get hired. Right. So there has to be a mixture of practicality and optimism, and then back it up with experience and market knowledge. So if someone walks in and says, you want 60, I think I can get 40, 45, but I'm willing to go and try to get 60. Uh, cause I'm, cause I'm always thinking and Kara worked for me. So she'll know, um, I'm just developers. We think bigger mm -hmm. Be because if we don't, then we would never develop. So I, but I love the, I'm going to read the book, Pavel, how do real estate developers think? I'll tell you if it's, if they say what I'm thinking. The other one too, um, it, that I think we read here, think big, act bigger. Um, that yeah. one might be a good one. It, I think it deals a lot with like egos and like understanding, like getting in the mentality of like, what the name of his company is like tall grass or something and is saying behind it is like if you can't if you can't roll with the big dogs kind of thing then don't sort of try it but it's uh, it talks about like ego and stuff like that too um so and that he, might be and that guy that author is an, he, we had him on the call too and he's an egomaniac also yes that guy <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth on that one <laughs> there you go all right well guys go ahead Pavel. No, yeah, thank you. I understand that these guys are also many times uh, under pressure from the financing banks. So it's also another story, another angle, you know, of the view. Well, so, right, because we're signing. I'm 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 signing personally for a loan. So that pressure, like, it's crazy to be a developer. Like, yeah. there's very few people that sign for the risk, have this vision. And then have to deliver on the vision and be tough and deal with all the obstacles. And then, you know, you may not make the money. You might lose a lot of money. It's it's crazy people that develop. So after I did the first one, I said, I'm never doing another one again. And now I'm in the middle of the second one. We're crazy hmm. people, Pavel. Crazy. Thank all right. You. Happy holidays. Thanks for participating. And we will be posting as soon as Greg and I get together and figure out what the next 12 months. And if you have a book suggestion like uh, Brooke did, please send it to us and we'll include it on the list. Thank you so Thank much. You. Happy, Happy holidays, holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Yeah. Thanks for Happy being holidays. here.